So today we're going to be talking about loving our enemies. And that is, uh, Trey's probably grinning, but he gave me that today because I don't think he wanted to talk about it. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. No, I, th- I think that uh, I'm just, he asked me to pick up in the sermon series he, he's on and this is where it was. And so um, loving your enemies, that, that might be one of the most challenging things that us as Christians have to deal with. Uh, maybe one of the most challenging things that God has given us to deal with. And um, I am not an expert at it. I am, I am not uh, perfect at it. But I do know this. I know that God has called us to handle conflicts different than the world handles conflicts. If you would, in your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. It says there, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So I guess the question I want to pose to you this morning is, is there somebody in your life that you have conflict with? Somebody in your life that every time you have to deal with them, it's like, ah, here we go again. I think that we've all probably dealt with somebody like that in some way. Uh, Maybe somebody that, maybe it's just a word battle, but it drives you insane. Uh, maybe it's somebody that has really done harm to you or your family, and you're having a hard time getting by that. But somebody that we actually would consider somewhat of an enemy of ours, do you have somebody like that in your life? And, the, and the, to go along with that question is how do we deal with that as followers of Christ? How are we handling those situations? You know, some of our natural reactions are to get mad, to talk bad about them, to want revenge on them. I mean, those are all pretty natural things that we feel when somebody has done us wrong, especially when we know that we haven't done anything to deserve what they're giving us. But those are all worldly reactions. Those are things that we as humans, uh, we have those reactions, and we're just kind of wired that way. Are we capable, capable of handling animosity constantly? And sometimes it might be somebody that you deal with every six months, and you kind of like, I can deal with it. But you just, you deal with it. But when it's over and over and over again, when it's something that has really hurt you or your family or somebody that you love, how can you possibly deal with that? You know, as we look at that passage of scripture that we read, notice that Jesus says, when we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, then you may be children of your Father in heaven. Okay, so if we're just doing the same thing the world is doing, if we're just acting the very same way that the world reacts, we're not doing anything special, right? But if we handle the situation different, people will recognize us as followers of Christ. It's not easy to love those who don't love you back. It's not easy to shake hands with somebody that you have resentment with. And no matter what they might be showing you, How are you going to react? How are you going to deal with that as a follower of Christ? You know, we all want to be loved 
and we all want to be loved back. We come into church on Sunday mornings, we see people that we know and we love and we care about, and we shake hands and we hug, and that is all awesome until you see that one person that you might have a conflict with, and then it's like, ah, I think I got something else to do this way. <laughs> you know, we, we, just, we just have some people that we don't click with, and, that, and that's probably okay, but how we deal with it matters. Um, if you would, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. It says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I think the key verse in, in that is verse 18, where he says, as far as it depends on you. Okay, as far as it depends on you, are you doing your part as a Christian to handle that situation the best you can? It doesn't say it is always possible that it's going to work out. It says if it is possible, okay, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Okay, it doesn't mean you're not going to have conflict, but it means that we must do our part because as far as it depends on us, we must be doing the thing that God has called us to do as, as followers of Christ. As we read down in verse 19 of that same passage, passage it says, Do not take revenge. Do not take revenge. Ugh, that's no fun. You know, when, we, when somebody does us wrong, we have the tendency to want to fight back, Right? And I'm pretty good about handling people pouring it on me. I can usually handle that. But if you do that to somebody I love or care about, oof, the anger starts. But that's not what God has called us to. We must do our part to love our enemies. It is not us, up to us to judge or take revenge. That is God's. When we surrendered our lives to Christ, that means we must give him all things. So when we became followers of Christ... That means that those people that you're struggling with, you gave that over to him as well. And that means that I have to conduct myself in a way that honors God daily, no matter the situation. It's not easy to do. You know, there are many people who have suffered greatly, uh, maybe lost loved ones or friends. And how do we deal with that? There's a, there's a great story, and some of you may know this story and probably have even read this book. The story of uh, Corey Tinboom, who was a young, young girl during World War II. She was from Amsterdam, and her and her family were hiding Jews, trying to protect them from the Nazis. I'm going to read this little uh, segment for you. It says, when I think of drawing on love's source, I think of Corey Tinboom. Her family had all died in the Nazi concentration camps. Their crime, hiding Jews in their home. Somehow, Corey survived. The war had ended, the camps had been liberated, and Corey was speaking in various churches, sharing about God's love and faithfulness. Even in the midst of horror, she writes in her best-selling book, The Hiding Place. And this is her words. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, a former SS man who stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at the Ravensbrück concentration camp. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. 
and suddenly it was all there. The room full of men mocking, the heaps of clothing, the pain on my sister Betsy's face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, miss, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blomendal, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Tough position she's in right now. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man, and I was going to ask for more. Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not our forgiveness any more than it is our goodness that the world's world's healing hinges on, but it's on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with the command, the love itself. So if there was ever anybody that probably had some kind of justification not to extend a hand to somebody, it was probably her. She'd seen all these horrific things happen to her friends and her family. They had died. And here's this guy that would mock them in the showers, that oversaw all this evil that was going on. But notice how she handled the situation. She called out to God. And even in that very moment, it was just, it took two times. Even if we, I, we, the man was standing here in front of me today, just in those few seconds, she had to call out to God two different times. I can't do it. I can't do it. But after she called on God, what did he do? He changed her heart. And see, and that's really what it needs to be for us when we're dealing with people that we, that we consider enemies or somebody that we might have conflict with. It really has to be turned over to God to change us. Oswald Chambers wrote in his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, The Sermon on the Mount is not an ideal. It is a statement of what will happen excuse me, in me when Jesus Christ has altered my disposition and put in a disposition like his own. Jesus Christ is the only one who can fulfill the Sermon on the Mount. We cannot do this without him. Loving your enemies requires Christ. See, when we submit our lives to Christ, we turn everything over to him. Our pride, our pain, everything. The hate, the anger that you might have with somebody else, we, we gave it all to him. So we must surrender all that we have to him, and that includes loving our enemies. He knows that we can't do it without him. If you would turn uh, with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. It says there, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
See, when we give it over to God, he carries our burdens for us. His yoke, which is lighter and easier to carry than ours, the yoke that we carry of sin and struggle and anger and animosity that we might have with somebody else. It's not easy to turn it over to him, but it's a lot harder to carry it on your own. We've got to understand that we have a God that loves us and cares about us enough to take all our burdens and all our sin and all that anger that you might have built up in you and take those for you. Have you ever noticed that when you have conflict with somebody that it can consume you? That when you wake up, it's there. Throughout your day, it's there. When you go to sleep, it's there. It's hard to shake. See, that, that is Satan's plan to distract you. See, God, God wants our eyes fixed on him and our ter- eternal reward of heaven. So we've got to understand that if, if we are too busy worrying about our situation or our conflict, that we're distracted from what our God wants us to be doing. You see how Satan uses that against us? He can use that animosity to cause, drive a wedge between you and them. And next thing you know, you're totally distracted from what God wants you to be doing. We must use conflict with enemies to show our love to them because of Christ. Not because of us, not because we are so good. But because of Christ, we are called to love our enemies. Remember what it said earlier, as far as it depends on you, okay, as far as it depends on you, we must handle these situations in the way that God has called us to. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 through 21. Second Corinthians five twenty through twenty one. It says there, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's a pretty powerful statement. So when you signed up to be a Christian and you gave your life to Christ, you are now an ambassador for Christ. And I am not perfect at that all the time. I don't know about the rest of you. I got a feeling I know. But we all, we all struggle at times on, on representing God in a great way. Okay, but he has called us to be an ambassador for him as we are appealing to others because of Christ. So when you are facing these situations and you have, have these conflicts, you've got to keep in mind that God might be using you right then and there to reach that other person that you don't like, that you don't care about. God may be using you to bring that person to Christ. So you have to remember that you may be the only Bible that person ever reads or has ever read at all. So it is so important in the way we handle ourselves. You know, I think that uh, everything from how we talk to people, you know, how, how we talk to those people that we have conflict, it matters. 
the language we use with them, it matters. See, when they see something different and see how you are handling a situation different than they've been handled before, they might start thinking, what is with this person? What is different about them that I can, they're treating me with kindness and I'm treating them terrible? There's something different. So do we realize that when we gave our life to Christ that we signed up for him to use us in whatever manner he needs to use us in? I mean, I, I realize that when we come to Christ, we're usually fairly immature in, in Christ, and we know some stuff about him. But when we give our lives to Christ and we want to get rid of our sin and we want to be washed clean, that's perfect. That's what he's called us to do. But when we do that, we have submitted our lives to him on a daily basis. See, God has not called us to a punch card Christianity where we walk in Sunday morning, we click the ticket for an hour and a half or an hour or whatever it is, and I sing some songs of praise and I worship him and I walk out the door and then I act like everybody else. It's easy to do that, right? It's a lot easier to do that than do it the right way. But see, God hasn't called us to that. He's called us to more. He's called us to be more. God is using you to maybe reach that person you have conflict with. Keep that in mind. See, it is not about you anymore. When you gave your life to Christ, it is no longer about you. And we all like it to be about us, right? We like things our way. We like things to go just the way we want. But again, when we gave your life to Christ, it is no longer about you. It is about him. Amen? You know, he can take a bad situation and transforms life, transform lives when we are fully committed and fully submitted to him. Okay, and he can do it without us, but he has called us to do it for him and with him. A life fully surrendered to Christ is about him and his purposes. So when you became an ambassador for Christ, when you gave your life to Christ, like I said, it is no longer about your purposes, but it is about his purposes. And so we don't like to give that up, do we? We like to have control. We like to handle the situation the way we want to do it. We want it to be about us, but it is no longer about you. It is about Christ and his his will for us, and what he's called us to do. You know, if we would do that, if I would do that better, we, we, could, we could change the world together. We could bring so many people to Christ. <clears throat> this, uh, I got a, a video I want to show, and this is another situation of a guy that really had it against him, and he probably had every reason to justifiably be angry and and vengeful towards a person. Let's go ahead and watch that video and then we'll touch on it real quick. The days and weeks following 9-11 were tenuous times for Americans, especially for people like Ray Norman and his family. His work with the Christian humanitarian organization World Vision had brought them to Mauritania, an Islamic republic on the west coast of Africa. We were the largest humanitarian organization working with the government to fight poverty in the country. 
I knew there were some pockets of extremism uh, in the country that uh, were not happy with, with our presence. There was rocks thrown at our cars, and the government assigned guards at our home and our office uh, around my daughter's school. So it was, it was a very tense time. After five weeks, security measures were lightened as tensions eased. Ray decided to take his daughter Hannah to a nearby beach. He'd gotten out to lock the wheels into four-wheel drive when an Arab man walked up and greeted him. He asked me if I was an American, which didn't alarm me at the moment. I said, yes, I am. And then he said, well, thank you, and he, he went on his way. He took about three paces, turned around, and called to me. And when I stood up, he had a 9 millimeter pistol aimed, aimed at my chest. And of course, as a father, all of my thoughts were about how do I protect Hannah? I was hoping if he got me, maybe he'd leave her alone. I started screaming, Daddy, that man has a gun. He has a gun. As Ray scrambled to get in the vehicle, the man pulled the trigger, but the gun misfired. It went click, click, click. And he took the gun and he tapped it uh, twice and took aim again. But with Hannah screaming, he, he took the gun's aim off of me and aimed at Hannah. My dad, he threw himself up against the window to block the man's view of me. And as he did that, that bullet went off. The bullet came through my right arm. Glass went everywhere. It went into our eyes, under our skin. Ray spun off as the man fired into the rear window. They made it to safety, but something was wrong. I felt out of breath. I felt like something had punched me. The bullet that had gone through my arm had struck her in the center of her, of her chest. And so my world crumbled. And then she said to me, she said, well, Daddy, am I about to die? I could only respond in faith. And something just welled up within me, and I said, Hannah, you're not going to die. I need you to pray. And says, okay, Daddy, I can do that. I just called in the name of Jesus over and over and over again. Ray sped towards the nearest clinic, praying desperately for his daughter. I had an argument right there in my prayers. You know, I said, Lord, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Clinic staff tended to Hannah and rushed her in for x-rays. And it turned out that when the bullet had hit her chest, it bounced off her sternum, slid across her rib cage, and exited in her armpit. But the bullet had not penetrated her lungs or her heart, and she was going to survive. By then, friends had gathered at the clinic to support them. I remember with tears raising my, my hands in the air and saying, Lord, thank you. Your, your promises are true and faithful. And I remember a Muslim friend looking at me and says, yes. Your Jesus is faithful. Both were patched up and flown to Paris for medical attention. And his mother, Helen, was finally able to see her daughter. My first reaction was to go straight to Hannah and just hold her. She, in fact, was sitting up in bed looking very chipper. The Holy Spirit stepped in and protected both of them from those bullets. Um, I was just so convinced of that from the beginning. As they recovered physically, the family tried to make sense of what happened. Why did he try to kill my father and myself? Someone who represented a people that I had felt called to serve in the name of Christ would inflict such harm. You know, this man had never given me the opportunity to tell him how much I cared about him and his people. 
he just walked out of the sand dunes and, and shot. I felt somewhat sorry for him. Like, why did he feel the need to do what he did? A few days after the shooting, authorities caught the gunman, Ali Uld Sidi. Once the Normans returned to Mauritania, a Muslim friend of Ray's explained what would likely happen. This man has shamed his family, his clan. Many, many people are very upset at what he did. He said, you need to understand that before his case ever comes to trial, he will probably conveniently disappear. I was shocked, like that, you know, why would that happen? Why does he deserve that? I was angry, I was upset, and it didn't make sense to me for that to happen. The family requested a visit with Ali in prison. Six months later, they were finally granted a five-minute visit. Seeing him was just sort of a relief because I saw that he was human too, and he wasn't a monster, he was just a man, and he looked really sad. He was obviously shocked to see us. And you can tell by the look on his face that he was expecting us to to accuse him, to bring him, him grief. I turned to Hannah and I said, Hannah, do you want to say anything to the prisoner? She addressed him directly. She said, Mr. Ali, I have two things I want to say. First is, I want to know why you tried to kill my daddy. He paused for a while and then said, I lost my head. He said, Mr. Ali, I hold no bitterness in my heart towards you and I forgive you. He froze and he didn't move for a couple of seconds. And when he looked up, you know, we could all see he had tears in his eyes. I saw how fragile he was. And, um, and even then, my heart continued to soften for him. It wasn't easy. I was still shaking at the time. I was also hearing God ushering me into getting closer to this man. I just started explaining to him the fact that maybe God was thinking about him when he protected Ray and Hannah because he had designs and plans for his life. The next day, the Normans received a handwritten letter from Ali. I cannot find the words to describe our meeting today. Although I still feel remorse with regard to the evil I have caused you, words cannot express the depth of my joy in seeing you with your daughter, that little angel, alive and well. Many times I have heard of Christian charity, of Christian kindness and love. When you came to see me, I saw it and experienced it. In accordance with Sharia law, the Norman family's public forgiveness helped to commute Ali's sentence, and he was released after one year in prison. The Normans never got to see him again. But for them, the experience confirmed everything they believe about the God they serve. He gives us this ability to forgive and to love that is unnatural. As natural human beings, we can't, we can't just do this. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. For God so loved Muslims, he gave his son. Uh, worship team, if you'd like to come up at this time. So after uh, seeing that video, you think, wow, here is a family together as a unit that understands the mission that God has for them. That their sole purpose was to bring 
people to Christ. And even through terrible tragedy that could have ended worse, thankfully with God's protection, they, they survived. But even beyond that, that they had the willingness and love for somebody that had attacked them to go to him in prison and tell him about Jesus. That's not an easy thing to do. But you know, that's exactly what God has called us to do. And, and maybe today your, your situation isn't this extreme, let's hope not. But maybe it's just somebody that is just always causing you grief. Maybe it's somebody that you're just not going to get along with them. You're not going to get along with them. That's okay. But as, as far as it depends on you, are you doing your part? You know, if, if you're having that struggle this morning, I, I just want to encourage you that we got people here that are willing to pray with you to help you battle through that. But, but you have to remember that you have to turn it over to Christ. And what he has for you is better than the, the wrestling match you are having right now. Because when we start doing things God, God's way, it's the right way. And it's, it's not perfect and it's not easy for us to do that because we are imperfect people saved by grace. But I just want to encourage you, if you need prayers this morning, I want to just ask that you come forward. We have elders here that will pray with you. Um, maybe you, you're here today and you need to surrender your life to Christ. There's no better day than today. No better day. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you today. Again, just grateful for your words, for the Bible that you've given us to give us a road map. And Father, I just pray if there's those in here this morning or watching that are in this struggle with somebody, Lord, that you will intervene, that you will show yourself, that you will show us as followers the best way to handle that situation. And God, I just pray that as we go out these doors this morning, Lord, that you're glorified in the way we live in the way that we handle ourselves. God, we're just grateful for the love that you have for us. And it's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.